Are you ready? We are here at First Energy Stadium. Mayfield waits on the snap. He's got it. Third and goal. He's stepping. He's throwing. Hunt's wide open. On it. Touchdown, Browns. Little toss sweep goes to Chevin on an end around. They give it to Landry, and he's going to fire down the field into the end zone. Touchdown, Odell Beckham Jr. Around the horn they went. It went from Mayfield to Chubb to Landry, and the old Southpaw fired it down to OBJ in the end zone. His sixth career touchdown against the Cowboys. Welcome back. Sorry for the wait. Apologize for the delay. We are back with another episode of the 6 a.m. Tailgate Cleveland Browns podcast presented to you always by Landmade Entertainment. I am your host, Pearl, and I hope everybody is having a wonderful day today. Today, we talk about the Cleveland Browns free agency. We talk about Andrew Barry, and I have a special guest host with me today. One of my OMS uh, alumni, colleagues, all that. My man, James Mastrucci. Did I get that right? You did get that right. And let me tell you, that is a fantastic intro. I absolutely love it. Very jealous. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. I actually get a lot of props on that. I definitely appreciate you joining me. Again, if anybody have any show ideas, uh, any comments, always hit me up at landmademedia at gmail.com. Make sure that you're subscribing and following the 6 a.m. tailgate. Make sure you tell a friend, tell a family member. How you feeling, man? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm pretty happy about how the Browns are doing and... uh I feel they're going in the right direction. Yeah, I do too. Andrew Barry has been killing it this offseason. I'm very happy with most of their deals. Most. But I think they can do a little bit more before the draft gets here. Oh, we're going to get into it then. So what, <laughs> what deal what deal are you, are you most impressed with? John Johnson. I love John Johnson. Yeah, me too. So great player. Was like the quarterback of the defense. The Rams called all their plays. He wore a little green dot on the helmet. That's what the Browns need, especially considering their safety play last year was subpar. You look at Andrew Sadejo, Carl Joseph, they're gone. I'm glad they're gone. But John Johnson, instant upgrade over both players. And, you know, guys like that typically don't even hit the free agency market. So I was really shocked and surprised that he became available to us. Um, the Browns picked up, what, the third rated overall safety, if you you know, follow pro football focus. He was the third highest graded yeah, out safety. I, I think I think that's right. I mean, he was very highly graded. Uh, you know, part of the reason he came available is the Rams had cap problems. Yeah. So cap casualty and bonus for the Browns. Yeah. You get a guy who has been a, a defensive leader, a captain, a guy who has called pretty much most of the defensive uh, coverage snaps. Like you said, he wears the green dot. He's on the field more often than he's not. I know he had an injured uh, injury riddled season in 2019 but outside of that his availability has always been there a guy that 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 fits I mean he fits the mold mm-hmm. and if you get a healthy uh Grant Delpit you know you're talking about being able to deploy so many safeties that can roam the field and I know that's what Joe Woods likes to do and that, that's a good point and I think what really is important about acquiring Johnson is it takes pressure off of Delpit to perform immediately because of his injury, it's going to take a minute for him to get back to full speed. I know we've all seen the workout videos. We all get hype. It's like he's looking good, but there's a difference between being physically in shape and football shape. Absolutely. I don't know when he's going to be in football shape or when he's actually going to be able to play in this defense. I mean, we still haven't seen him on the field yet. I hope he's good, but there's a chance he might not be. Yeah, and, you know, Andrew Barry has done a good job of, you know, making sure that, okay, a plan B is in place in case he doesn't come back you know, and reach the level of expectation that he thought, you know, 
as far as production that he was getting out of the draft. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be important, like you said, to have that extra safety out there, a guy that can roam, a guy that, you know, could call the defense and take the pressure off of Grant Delpit so that he can learn. Mm -hmm. You know, I think John Johnson is a guy that he can actually pick up a few things from, not only him, but Ronnie Harrison as well. Yeah, the trio of Johnson, Ronnie Harrison, Grant Delpit, I think that's a good three safety set right there, whether they're going to deploy all three at the same time or going to have you know some sort of rotation with Harrison and Delpit. I think they're definitely taking the right steps forward towards building this defense and fixing some of the big problems they had last year. Because what I like about it is you have three guys back there that can play in the box and fast enough that can play over the top mm -hmm. to not let a wide receiver get out over the top of them. Yeah. So you, you have versatility in all your safeties now. Yeah, the, the less Anderson Dejo poster shots we get, the better. Absolutely. You know, thank God we don't have to deal with that no more. And I think the uh, the signing of Hill, you know, the the cornerback from the Rams, which was another guy that it kind of shocked me that he was on the market. But to your point, the Rams are struggling with cap issues. And he becomes available. And next thing you know, you've signed, what, 40% of the best secondary in football from last season. Yeah, Troy Hill is another good signing. It's a four-year deal, quote-unquote. There's some voidable years on there. It's essentially a two-year deal that's worth $9 million. So if we're looking from the cap perspective, it's a very great value from that perspective. But he's also a good player. Yeah, Someone, he's a really good player. He can play outside. He can play inside. He gives them, and I know we just spoke about taking pressure off of Grant Delpit. This takes pressure off of Greedy Williams to come back and play. Absolutely. Because I don't know how long or how effective he can play. I mean, he had a nerve injury in his shoulder. Yeah. And he's not necessarily the best tackler. So all it could take is literally one bad tackle, and he's back on the shelf again. And just think about it. I mean, you know, we remember back in the day when Peyton Manning was dealing with the nerve issue, mm -hmm. and it took him a while, yeah. you know, to get back. I think about, you know, when we had Colt McCoy, mm -hmm. when we, he dragged him out of Texas, the same thing. He was dealing with a nerve issue, and it took a while. Yeah. And – Again, here's another situation where Andrew Barry is looking at that situation, a player coming off injury and having a guy in place so that not only that it take it takes the pressure off that particular player, mm -hmm. but it makes sure that the Browns can also have sustained success on that side of the ball. Yeah, and what it also does is it helps with Denzel Ward. Yeah. Because now people just can't throw away from Denzel Ward. There are going to be times where they're going to have to throw at Denzel Ward now because Troy Hill's covering their other receiver that they would normally target. Right. And so it's going to make the defense a little bit better, make Denzel Ward get a little bit more active in the defensive game plan. I think that one signing of Tro Troy Hill was an upgrade from Terrence Mitchell and Kevin Johnson collectively. Yeah, I liked Terrence Mitchell when he was here. I was never a fan of the Kevin Johnson signing. Uh, I used to cover the Texans a while back for an independent website, mm -hmm. and I covered Kevin Johnson. like, this dude can't stay healthy, and when he's on the field, he's really not that good. He's a liability. That's the perfect word to describe him, is liability. He's and a liability. So when they signed him last year, I'm like, this is a nothing signing, really. I mean, this guy's either going to get hurt or play bad, and he played poorly. But I think to Andrew Barry's credit, you know, that's why you sign guys to these one-year deals, mm -hmm. so that you can see see what they have to offer. And if they don't have much to offer you, then you're not stuck with this bad contract for years to come. Yeah, the way they were able to – navigate the defensive situation last year was done well, especially with how they attacked the offense. They were able to sign guys to long-term deals, but also draft guys at the same time. So it was draft guy, sign a guy at right. one position. So they right. drafted a tight end, signed a tight end. They signed a tackle, they drafted a tackle. I imagine they'll be taking a similar strategy when it comes to defense. 
So they're going to sign a safety. Maybe they draft a safety. They sign a corner, draft a corner. I can tell you right now, if J.C. Horn is on a on a board when we draft, I want him. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they still need defensive help. They still need defensive upgrades. They're making the right moves to get better. Yeah. You know, you think about that. Let, let's talk about that defensive line for a minute. You know, we talked about the defensive backs, and we all know that room was uh, it was dealing with injuries and it was dealing with incompetent play. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about the injuries to Delpit and the injuries to Greedy Williams, but the poor play of Anderson Sadejo and things like that, and the poor play of Kevin Johnson, plus the injuries of Kevin Johnson. You know, it was tough there, but it was also tough on the defensive line. Yeah. Miles Garrett started off the season strong. COVID hits, and he was not the same player. Uh, Olivier Vernon started the season just slow. Towards the end of the season, he started to rev it up, and then he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't really get the production from Larry Ogunjobi that you were used to seeing from the two years prior. Yeah. And what do the Browns do when you go sign a Malik Jackson, a guy mm-hmm. that's a veteran that has won a championship, yep. that can be a voice in the locker room, and then you sign a rotational defensive end in Tack McKinley, who, former first-round pick, mm-hmm. if he turns out to be anything, okay, the Browns look like they got a steal. Yeah. But, again, a one-year deal. So we're not basically held captive by a guy if he doesn't produce. Yeah, I'm glad you used the word rotational with Tack McKinley because it seems like a lot of people are just signing him and slating him in to be the starting defensive end. Like, this guy's a rotational guy. Right. He still uh, has a lot to prove. He, he, he started off good in his career, but – Injuries, inconsistent play, and some issues off the field have been concerning. There's a reason. Immaturity. Maturity. Yeah. There's, there's a reason he signed a one-year deal. It's not because the free agent market wasn't kind. It's because you don't know what you're going to get out of him. Right. Because I think the deal was, what, $4 million? Yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing at all. Yeah. And so if the Browns get anything from him, then, of course, it's a win for the Browns. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, Andrew Berry has put us in a position to where we can still make impactful moves if necessary. But I like the fact that he's conscious of the fact that we have guys on this team that we're going to have to take care of next season and the season after that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's he's definitely a rotational guy. Um, you know, Javian Clowney was just here Wednesday. And, you know, I see you waving me I'm, off. I'm waving off Javian Clowney, man. A lot of people are. Javian Clowney, a lot of people remember the name. A lot of people remember the hit against Michigan. Mm-hmm. They remember he's the first, you know, number one overall pick. They don't remember that he had no sacks last year. He had three sacks the year before. He's trending downward as a player. So tell me this, because that's the argument that you are hearing a lot. Mm-hmm. But is it really just all about the sacks? It's not all about the sacks. The big problem with Clowney, and this is where the sack number and QB hits doesn't necessarily come into play, is that he is a constant overrunner of plays. He will run past the quarterback. He will run past the running back. and will leave a giant hole wide open. We play the Ravens twice a year. You want Clowney running past Lamar Jackson and leaving a giant hole for him just to run for a 40-yard gain? No, absolutely not. And that's what you get with Jadavian Clowney. He will provide you that. And he gets hurt all the time. He does get hurt. He gets hurt. He battles the injuries. I mean, the one thing, I mean, take the website for what it's worth. I just find it's a fun reference. It's called sportsinjurypredictor.com. Okay. Okay. I looked at it last year when they were flirting with Clowney. It was like 60% of re-injury. He got hurt. I looked at it this year when Clowney's name got brought up. 99% chance of injury. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, I mean, they keep details. I mean, you can't really predict an injury, but they're going off of his track record. He gets hurt all the time. The chances are he's going to get hurt. But here's another guy. Last year when the Browns was flirting around with Clowney, there was reports surfacing that the Browns was offering him something north of $17 million, right? Yeah. Okay. He really didn't show much interest in wanting to be here. Yeah. And... Could you blame him? 
Probably not. I mean, at that time, the Browns were still an organization that was still in prove-it mode. Mm-hmm. You know, free agents were skeptical of coming here. So here it is a situation now to where he played eight games for the Titans, missed the rest of the season due to a knee injury. He made close to $13 million. Mm-hmm. Um, no sacks. In fact, he has, what, three sacks over the last two years. Yeah. But I looked at look at it also. The two years prior to that, he had 18 and a half sacks combined in yeah. those two seasons. And those was his peak seasons. Mm-hmm. But even without the sacks, if you look at the year in Seattle, mm-hmm. let's take that year, for example. He had three sacks. And in most people's eyes, okay, well, that's that's not a great pass rusher. Yeah. But he also finished with a 91.3 run defensive grade, mm-hmm. putting him in the top three. And he's actually been in the top ten as far as run defense from that edge position. Mm-hmm. One of the Browns' Achilles heels has always been we can't stop the run. Yes. And so I feel like if we can get Clowney in here on a one-year $8 million deal with some incentives loaded into it, mm-hmm. here's another guy that you can rotate on that side opposite of Miles Garrett. And if he's healthy, okay, then cool, the Browns benefit. But if not, we took a chance on a guy, and it didn't cost us much money. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. I just It's a lot of money for a guy who didn't want to be here last year. He still got hurt last year. And he actually has been a liability in run game. I mean, a lot of people like to say he's good at that, but he over-pursues plays all the time. And a lot of his sacks that he got, that 18 and a half number, they're cleanup sacks. So he did get sacks, but they're cleanup sacks. Someone ran towards him and he finished the play, or someone knocked somebody over and he just dragged the guy down. And I guess it's easy when you have J.J. Watt playing on the opposite side of you. Yeah, you got J.J. Watt on the opposite side of you. You know, not prime, but still pretty good J.J. Watt. Then he goes to Seattle, who still had a good defense when he was there. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just not feeling clowny. Well, he, he left here without a contract. And I'm fine that he left here without a contract. But do you think? I mean, look at the Anthony Walker situation. He came in on a visit. He left without a contract. He still ended up signing here. Yeah, but the difference between Anthony Walker and Jadavian Clowney is we needed a linebacker. We don't need a Jadavian yeah. Clowney. You know, and Anthony Walker, a guy that most people don't know about, mm-hmm. we got a chance to see him play against the Cleveland Browns last year. He plays. He played for a coach defense that was pretty damn good, too. Yeah. And, you know, that's, that's a huge pickup as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at him. He has a lot of respect for Baker. Yeah, he he said that was one of the deciding factors for him is to come play with an elite quarterback. How about mm-hmm. that? I mean, I'm glad that he views Baker as an elite quarterback. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm glad that other players are at least viewing him in that manner. So it maybe will help them in free agency and attract other players to the team. Yeah, I don't view him as elite myself. I mean, I think he's a pretty good damn player, but you know, he still has a a lot to prove in my opinion as well. I mean, not to get too off track here because we're talking free agency, but just the, my only issue, I guess, with Baker is there's too many levels of variance with him. Mm-hmm. He'll look really good, and then he'll look really bad. I want those levels to come closer together to be more consistent overall. So, like, break it down to me. What you mean by that? So there are times where he'll he'll look really good. Like, he looks the part. He looks like the guy that, you know, woke up feeling dangerous. He's throwing touchdowns. He's, you know, throwing for a ton of yards. He's not making mistakes. Mm-hmm. But then there are other times where he looks like what he did last year with Freddie Kitchens. And even last year, there, those plays existed. And it's important to, I guess, separate what success he's had this year between him actually growing as a player and did Kevin Stefanski put him in that spot to actually succeed. I think a lot of it is Stefanski and not necessarily Mayfield. That's fair. And it's funny. I think episode five of this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I talked about Baker. I got a few blogs up on my website, landmadellc.com. You know, talking about that same thing. 
And, you know, even though this is a little off topic, that's that's an interesting fact that you brought up, because in my opinion and how I look at it, I think Baker took major leaps forward. Mm -hmm. But I also think that Baker's success has been put on film Mm -hmm. and how Baker adjusts to the adjustment will be important. Yes. You know, Kevin Stefanski, I believe, is going to always put him in the best situation. Mm -hmm. I think he does a good job of covering up what Baker does not do well. And putting him in a position to exploit what he does well. Yes. Now, it's on Baker to grow as a football player, to understand the scheme more, to understand defensive schemes more, and to understand that what you put on film last year, they're already preparing for it. Yes. And if you do what you did after your rookie year, mm-hmm. you know, the last time they had film on you, then we might have to consider moving on. Yes. But I, something in me is telling me that Baker is going to come out prepared. And if he does, mm-hmm. okay, cool. You know, Baker, to me, is a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. I'll agree with that, with him being closer to 15 than one, but yes. Yeah, yeah. but you can win with that. Y- you can win with that. The only concern I have is that we've seen two quarterbacks in very similar systems uh, who have fallen off out of favor with those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, similar systems, similar quarterbacks, quarterbacks being Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo. All three of those quarterbacks are very similar. They all run a version of the same offense. Jared Goff's not there anymore. Who knows what Garoppolo's going to do in San Francisco. So if the quarterback doesn't grow and show ability to perform outside of this specific system, there's an end time. There's an end date. I agree with that. I agree with that. You know, and, you know, back to looking at the uh, free agent, speaking of the quarterback, he got one of his favorite targets back. Rashard Higgins. How do you feel about the Browns bringing him back? Okay, so it's, it's very important for me to, I guess, put it this way. Um, I view Rashard Higgins as a productive player on the offense. I view him as someone that Baker Mayfield obviously has chemistry with. That being said, he is an average receiver. They're paying a appropriate average receiver salary. My only issue is when people start talking like he's better than Landry or Beckham or he's a top receiver in the game. I felt the Browns were going to move on. Same. You know, I thought that if they spent money at that position, I was actually an advocate of them going to sign a guy like Will Fuller or Brashard Perryman because I felt like a strong number three wide receiver, mm-hmm. you know, it would give Baker less excuses. Not saying that, you know, he already doesn't have a plethora of weapons, but you mm-hmm. give him at least one more. You do have Odell Beckham coming off of an injury as well. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think he is an average wide receiver. I think the fact that Baker has chemistry with him – and that's something that, you know, I look at and say, okay, is this where I'm going to give Baker some credit? Is he making Rashard Higgins look good? Because if you think about when Rashard Perryman was here, mm-hmm. he went and got a $2 million contract a year after playing with Baker. Yeah. So is Baker, I guess the question becomes, is Baker good enough to make other guys look good? So the the thing with, with Higgins, I think it's important to, I guess, point this out because I make sure to point it out every time I talk about Rashard Higgins on my podcast and when I'm on other podcasts, it's, when other defenses are preparing for the Browns, Rashard Higgins is like the fifth or sixth option that they're concerning themselves with. Even though Baker and Higgins have this chemistry, they're worried about Odell, Jarvis, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Then Higgins comes into the conversation. That's true. So, you know, I brought this up a week ago, but there was a, I think it was a primetime game, and Higgins caught like a wide-open touchdown. The broadcast was, how is he wide open? I'm like, because it's Rashard Higgins, that's why. You know yeah. what I mean? It, they're not worried about him. They're worried about Jarvis beating them. They're worried about Austin Hooper beating a linebacker in coverage. 
I think I think another thing with that is we signing. I think he got like a four million dollar deal. I heard like two and a half of that is guaranteed. And the first thing I thought about was I'm pretty sure his agent looked out on the market, and there wasn't much money available to him. I think Rashard he has size. He's six two. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the physical, when you look at him, it doesn't look like he has the physical tools. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of scouts and a lot of you know general managers might look at him and say, yeah, no. I mean, the thing with him is that I think he's been available for any team to sign three times in his career. Right. And the only team to call him is the Browns. Do you think the Browns drop the wide receiver? I think they entertain it depending on where the wide receivers are and what point in the draft. Not obviously not first, second, or third. Probably a fourth, fifth something there. I could see him taking a guy or you know similar spot in the draft like they did with Peoples Jones, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but it's not like a priority. I mean, wide receiver isn't necessarily a focus of this offense. I, I mean, think Peoples Jones, you know, he's going to get a lot of the time that Rashard Higgins is getting because here here's a guy that he has some raw star potential in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, he's six two. Uh, he, he's strong, he has the physical abilities, and he has that rear speed with the size combination, mm-hmm. has great hands. And if he can develop into that third wide receiver, which I believe the Browns believe that he can, yeah, you know, Rashard Higgins might end up being more of a depth type of signing. I mean, I feel he should probably be more of a depth receiver to begin with. I mean, there was a reason he wasn't playing early in the season. Yeah, well, Cardell Hodges was getting more snaps than he was. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was Beckham Landry, then you're seeing, like, Hodge play some snaps. So, I mean, there's there's a reason. It's not because Richard Higgins is, you know, dazzling the coaching staff. It's because they got to a point where who else are they going to play? I mean, right. there, there was the game against the Jets where they played nobody that I ever heard of, Jamarcus Bradley. I never heard of him for that game. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and he's back on the team too. Yeah. You know, so, another guy that's there for depth. So I, I think he played more out of necessity. And at the end of the day, I think Cleveland is more important to Higgins than Higgins is important to Cleveland. I agree with it. And it's, it's shown the last two off-seasons. I mean, it really has. So. He was a free agent for three months. Right. Did not get one team to call him. Exactly. The Browns gave him a, a deal saying, here, come back for a one-year deal. I think this is his last one-year deal. I I mean, you saw some of the uh, – with Cleveland, yes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you saw some of the projections for Higgins in the off-season. They're like, oh, he's going to get five, six million multi-year deal. I'm like, no, that's not happening. I mean, and and when he came back for that one year deal with a you know two and a half million guaranteed or whatever it is, I'm like that's about what I expected. Yeah, you know one year deal, couple million bucks. It's just interesting because I mean technically past the 2021 season, the only wide receiver that the Browns have kind of like you know some control over for a few years is Donovan Peoples Jones. And I think some of that will change soon. Um, Despite what some people like to say on the internet, I don't think that they're just going to cut ties with Beckham or Landry at some point. I think Landry is a lifelong Browns player. He, he needs to be. Um, Beckham, I could see them moving on at some point, but, I mean, he has no value right now. He, he's a dynamic player, but he has no value. He's paid, he gets paid a lot of money. He's coming off another injury. He has no value. You, you want a seventh-round pick two years from now? That's what you're getting for Beckham. Pretty much. You know... The Browns have – they took some time out to look at the own roster and decided on who who they were going to bring back. You know, we talked about Rashard Higgins. He's back. Uh, they also brought back Malcolm Smith. They broke. They brought back Cody Parkery. Malcolm Smith I'm fine with. He's a sub-linebacker, rotational guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he, technically he got starts last year, but those are games he paid like 30% of the snaps in. 
Right. So, I mean, he's he's a veteran. He's fine. He's someone that they'll probably play in coverage. But if he's playing any more than 30%, you're, it's kind of a problem. And I would prefer them to find a different kicker than Cody Parkey because volatile is how I view Cody Parkey. Like, he's liable to just fall off a cliff at any moment. I thought the Browns, I, I think they still might draft one to just to make a kicking competition. Just just stay open to options. That's all I really want. I yeah. mean, don't lock yourself into Cody Parkey. I mean, because he's just someone that when he comes up to line up for a kick, I'm like, please make it, please make it, please make it, please make it. Like, I'm not confident he's going to make it, even though he did fairly well last year. Is there any free agents that's still available that you think the Browns should take a look at? There was one earlier this week, and that was Kerry Hyder, but he just signed a deal with someone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I thought that would have been a good addition to firmly put Tack McKinley in a rotational position mm-hmm. instead of slotted as the projected starter right now. I imagine they'll just keep, you know, kind of scanning the free agent market as guys fall off and their salary expectations drop. But I got to think they're going to look at defensive line, linebacker, and corner. I think a guy like Melvin Ingram. That's still available. Um, I would even take a flyer on probably a Geno Atkins and a KJ Wright. You know, mm-hmm. they, these are three guys that that stick out to me. That you know, as as the market dwindles down, yeah, you know, and that salary expectation comes down, mm-hmm. you might be able to get a quality player on another one year deal. And I like these one year deals. And he did the same thing last year. Talking about Andrew Berry, he signed yeah. a lot of guys to a one year deal. And this was, you know, when the COVID situation first hit and the execs in the NFL kind of had an idea of the financial impact. So here we are now with the cap at $184 million, $30 million uh, cheaper than what they expected it to be, mm-hmm. okay? Knowing that everything is starting to come back together, you know, thank God we can get to go back outside, get to go back to sporting events. Yeah, The Browns right now are currently expecting to – operate at 100% capacity mm-hmm. once we open up the season. So the cap is going to jump, yeah. okay? So here it is that the Browns and Andrew Berry put themselves in position last year by signing a bunch of one-year deals, and they're doing it again this year. Mm-hmm. You know, you're signing guys to one-year prove-it deals so that you're not, you know, struck or held down by that, that cap number so that you can make even better moves going forward, retaining your own guys, et cetera. I mean, what it comes down to is making short-term improvements while maintaining long-term flexibility, and that's what they've done. I right. mean, short-term improvements, obviously, John Johnson, Troy Hill, but they're going to be here past this year. The flexibility comes in with the one-year deal. So guys like Malik Jackson, Anthony Walker, and Tack McKinley, one-year deals, they don't work. See ya. But not only that, I think we both can agree all those guys that got one-year deals, I can see the Browns draft in that same position. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the idea. You find someone to start from day one in case the rookie's not ready, uh, the rookie has some other issues, they have tr- trouble picking up uh, you know, how they run their system or how the NFL's run. But if you draft a guy and he's a stud, and it's like, okay, then we can just kind of slowly phase out the veteran, put the rookie into the game, then say it's been real to the veteran next year. I think those first three picks of the draft is going to be crucial. Where they decide to spend that particular first-round pick, mm-hmm. it could be huge. You know, I, I am a guy who I've fallen in love with J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Yeah. A guy that I would love to put out there. 
But looking at the the edge rush position, you know, we got a rotational guy in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that needs to be addressed. And if we hit that, that that might be our starter. Absolutely. I mean, they, they definitely need an edge rusher. Um, one position that I think they need to address, which has not necessarily gotten a whole lot of discussion, is defensive tackle, just interior defensive line play. Because the interior pass rush is underrated, but it's just as important as the exterior pass rush. And right now, I, I mean, I like Sheldon Richardson. We really don't know what Jordan Elliott is. We don't know what Andrew Billings is going to provide. Right. I think they need to get another guy in there through the draft. So when Richardson deals up, when Billings deals up, they at least have two guys that they have a good idea of what they are. Well, this is Richardson's last year on this deal. Yeah. Jordan Elliott showed some promise to me. He did. I, I think that he was kind of like that surprise rookie. And, and you know, losing Larry Ogunjobi is going to hurt a little bit. I mean, I liked Larry Ogunjobi. He didn't necessarily live up to what we thought he was going to be early in his career. Kind of faded off a little bit. They're still going to miss him because he provided a skill set that the three guys that they have on the roster don't have. But I think with Malik Jackson, I think you get that combination of pass rush and run run defender. Yeah, Malik Jackson will help cover that up a little bit. But, but I'm not expecting him to play every down. I'm not either. And I, I could see them moving Malik Jackson around the line a little bit. Yeah. You know, if they want to look, you know, I know they don't play a 3-4, if they want to give a 3-4 look, you know, kind of a 4-3 under with a linebacker standing up or an end standing up, you could have, you know, Garrett Richardson in the middle, Jackson on the end, and maybe Tack McKinley outside of him. Now, see, I think I think we're going to see a lot of 4-3 cover. And I say that because of all the damn defensive backs that, you know, seem to be very important uh, to Joe Woods. The defensive backs are important. I just think it's – you look at – where he learned his coverage, he looked at where the heart of the defensive front came from. It's a four three under scheme, which is right. which is the defensive end standing up. Right. There's, there's going to be a lot of that, I think. I think a lot of people forget, you know, Joe Woods was uh, on a defensive staff that had Von Miller on there. Yeah, so I, that's why a lot of people were trying to connect dots between Von Miller and the Browns this offseason. Obviously, nothing happened, but right. I mean, it would have been cool. It would have cost a lot of money or draft picks or whatever, but. I think the Browns have the draft picks, though. The one thing that, you know, I stressed on one of my podcasts is we have two number threes and two number fours. A number three in the NFL is a starter. Yeah. Okay. So you got two threes and you got two fours. So to me, that's that's draft capital. Yes. You know, you have the picks to basically make the trade for a player or to move up in the draft and draft like a Michael Parsons mm-hmm. if, you know, they wanted to, you know, jump out the jump like that. Yeah. But um, I like what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I like how he's setting this thing up for the future. You look at the guys that's going to become coming up for uh, contract extensions and things like that. You're not going to be able to sign everybody. Yeah. So being able to look ahead, as you said, you know, get a significant piece that can help you right now, Mm -hmm. but also make sure that your future is uh, taken care of. I think that's important. You know, with a guy like John Johnson, you get him on a three-year deal, which is essentially a four-year deal. Yeah. Um, you got a guy that's 25 years old that can help you now that's going to be here for at least the next three or four years. So he's a part of the now and the future. Uh, Troy Hill, another guy, he's going to be here for the next three or four years. He's a part of the now and the future. Yeah. And so, you know, let's look at Nick Harris, the yeah. center that we drafted. That was a guy that was drafted uh, so that he can learn. Because yeah. J.C. Treader, I'm pretty sure, won't get a contract because of how Andrew Barry is starting to build his team. Yeah. Um, 
You and, know, and right now Harris projects to be a, like a backup guy, which is fine because you right. need backup linemen. But in the next year or so, we don't have to worry about yeah getting a center. And so I like how he's building this thing. He's getting these guys on these one-year prove-it deals and free agency. If it works out, cool, you could come back. If not, cool, you know, we can keep it moving and get some players that can help. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do, you know, with the remainder of free agency. I think the Browns are still trying to make some moves. I do too. I mean, because it's a great start. They still got some other moves that I think they need to and probably will make. I would still be happy if they signed another corner. I'd be ecstatic if they signed a linebacker, even though it seems like it seems against what they're all about. But I just don't like the devaluation of linebackers that people seem to be obsessed with. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I know it's in the past, but let's be real here. There are two teams in the division who have valued linebacker for pretty much ever. ever. And those are the teams that have won Super Bowls. You look at the two teams that have had elite, historic-level defenses. What position did they value the most? Linebacker. There's a reason the Steelers and the Ravens always draft a linebacker every year. You know, I had a conversation with a family member. You know who's been the best linebacker in Cleveland since the return in 99? I might say maybe Dequel Jackson? Jameer Miller. Oh, yeah, Jameer Miller. I, I, I mean, Jameer Miller was awesome. I just, I mean, the only thing I'm thinking about is he got hurt, his career I did, and his, it was a very short period. But his performance of that year when he was pro bowler, best season. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, like, with DeQuell Jackson and what's the other guy, Andre Davis? Yeah. You know, they used to get all this hype because they made a lot of tackles. But yeah. the tackles was, like, seven, eight yards upfield. They were never meaningful tackles. I mean, the king of meaningless tackles was Ben Taylor, <laughs> if you remember Ben Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I agree with you. I think that's a position that definitely needs to be adjusted. I think it's a position that um, the Browns will eventually adjust. I don't know if they value – I'm not going to say that they, they don't value the position. Mm-hmm. I don't think they value spending the free agency dollars on a position. And you know what? That's fine. Just draft linebackers. Then. That's all I want. Yeah. Because, I mean, Malcolm Smith, he's fine. Sione Takitaki seems like he could be a good rotational guy. Right. Jacob Phillips showed some promise. The less said about Mac Wilson, the better. Um, Absolutely. Um, I said it before, but uh, Zach Jackson refers to Mac Wilson's tweets to tackle ratio. And it's not great <laughs> <laughs> because uh, many more tweets and tackles. I kid you not. And this is just me, you know. And I've said this before on this podcast. I can't do what they do. But if the Browns sign another linebacker free agency and we draft a couple and then, you know, it comes down to that getting down to that roster size, I can see Mac Wilson being cut. Same. I mean – I think a lot of people are blinded by the couple plays he made as a rookie. No, and a lot of people are blinded by the fact he went to Alabama. Oh, oh that too. Uh, it's Alabama, a couple plays he made as a rookie where he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. His gap inter- integrity but is horrible. I have never seen a guy bite on every play action. Every single one. Every single one. He bites on play action, and it seems like there's a tight end that goes where he was supposed to be. Yeah. That, that, that's what Mac Wilson is. I think that a guy, uh, yeah, his days in Cleveland might be numbered if he if he doesn't step it up this offseason. Like, I had hope for him. I, I fell for his rookie hype because I'm like, oh, look, he made a couple picks. He looked pretty good. He's a rookie. Grow. There was no growth. No whatsoever. <laughs> He's the same player now that he was as a rookie. Yeah. Just, and w- just without the couple game-changing plays he, you know, fell backwards into. And keep in mind, Andrew Barry did not draft him, so. Exactly, and I think that's something that, Needs to be, I guess, kind of mentioned, uh, kind of kept in check when looking at some of these fringe guys. Right. You know, they weren't bought in by our current general manager. So, 
those things there are going to be important. Uh, this was fun, man. This was good. Uh, let me ask you about one more player. Sure. David Njoku. Yo, did you see his tweets? Yes, I did see his tweets. What was that about? I don't know. Um, talking about it's not about money, but there was a countdown on his Twitter uh, timeline until his $6 million contract gar- got guaranteed, so I think it was about money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then he goes, you know, what's really $6 million? Uh, yeah, then he gets in a fight with uh, Emma Golden, kind of, on yeah. Twitter. I'm just like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm not an Njoku fan. Me neither. I think there's a reason they signed Austin Hooper and drafted Harrison Bryant was to, you know, get rid of him. Yeah. Which made the decision to pick up his option last year very confusing and let his $6 million become full, fully guaranteed even more confusing. There's one thing I'm going to ding Andrew Barry on. It's that. I mean, yes and no. And I, and I say yes and no. Is $6 million for a tidy end really much these days? One. And two. If you look at the production of that position, just throughout the NFL, mm-hmm. it's probably six or seven that actually were quality tight ends last year. Now I'm not saying that he wasn't one of uh, that he was one of them. Oh, because he wasn't right. But I believe the Browns, you know, and I hate to say this because this is to your point. I mean, the more tight ends you can have until Baker actually grows into the scheme, the better that you are. So that might be a move made as kind of like a. Uh, you know, high Baker Floss type move. We play a lot of 12 and 13 personnel anyway. We do. I mean, but we have we have Bryant, we have Hooper, we have Steven Carlson under contract as well. Right. So, I mean, he's already got a couple. And do you know where he or Njoku ranks for salary this year? I'm going to jump out on a limb. Uh-huh. I'm going to say he's, he's top 10. Just base salary, he is tied for the fifth highest tight end in base salary. Wow. Who's number one? Number one is Zach Ertz, then Jimmy Graham, Cameron Brait, Darren Waller, O.J. Howard. Again, this is base salary. It doesn't have incentives or bonus or any of that other stuff thrown in. So just base salary, fifth highest paid tight end with O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram. And out of those three, Evan Ingram is the only one that's quality. <laughs> I mean, he's making more in base salary than Austin Hooper is. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild for a guy who got his job taken by Harrison Bryant. I mean, my issue with Njoku has been he's a tight end who can't block and he's a tight end who can't catch. So what is he here for? Nothing. I mean, let's look at his stats. I mean, he came on at the end of the season last year. There were, like, games with, like, three or four catches. Yeah. People are acting like he made, like, seven catches in a game. No. 19 receptions for 213 yards and two touchdowns last year. That's pretty much – I hate to say it, but that's what you expect from this guy. You know, he – he seems to be a bit emotional himself. Mm-hmm. He seems to, you know, be worried about everything else. He has not caught the damn football consistently since he's been here. Um, I go to training camp a lot, you yeah. know. I, I like to see when they first put their pads on. Mm-hmm. I like to see how the team is going to look firsthand. And every single time I'm there, man, even in practice. He drops passes. He's dropping passes. So He drops a ton of passes. I yeah. mean, from, I know it's only four years into his career. He's still a young guy. He can Things can change. But so far, his second year in the league with 56 catches, 639 yards, and four touchdowns seems like the outlier. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I definitely think this is another guy. This will be his last year in Cleveland. Um, I was hoping last year would have been his last yeah. year. But, you know, you know, you just can, me. Andrew Berry, for the most part, he's made more good moves than he's not. Some of them are questionable. Um, we can only just, <laughs> you know, see see how, how they work out. But uh, do me a favor, man. T- tell the audience how they can find you. Tell them what you got going on. 
I mean, you can find my work at thisisbelieveland.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jimitude. That's three M's in the middle of there. So J-I-M-M-M-I-T-U-D-E. And you can, on This Is Believeland, I have articles about the Cavs, Browns, uh, the Indians, the Monsters, and I have my own podcast there as well. And what's the name of it? Thisisbelieveland.com. All right, man. I'm about to check out your podcast. I thank you for joining me today, man. I had a great conversation. Again, this is the 6 a.m. tailgate with your host, Pearl. Remember, we are presented by Landmade Entertainment. If you have any show content questions or ideas, hit me on landmademedia at gmail.com. Make sure you are follow, following. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you tell a family member and a friend. Till next time, y'all. We'll see you. This has been Episode 6. We out.